All right, this is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> All right, it is a rainy March morning, Saturday morning, but we have a fantastic guest, Judith Offer. How are you, Judith? I'm doing very well. I'm happy to report. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, and thank you for coming at such an early. 10.30 is, uh, that's pretty early, but, uh, you know, you came here at 10 o'clock. Not for me. I'm an early riser myself. Uh, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Uh, Judith Offer, you are a playwright, and you uh, run a uh, play reading uh, session or a play reading um, group. Series. Series at the Brooklyn Preserve. Yes. And uh, that is fantastic. And I was a part of that. Uh, I was very grateful to uh, to have one of my pieces selected by you. And uh, you've been helping out a lot of other budding playwrights. Um, get their pieces heard. It's it's really quite fun. I was I got started on it because I was trying to think of a way to help uh, the woman who owns the space, mm-hmm. Fallon Alan Blazer. Blazer, yeah, that she has made this space possible for people in the arts and other things. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was thinking, what I can, what can I do to help? And uh, you know, I knew I couldn't produce a play right then or anything. So I came up with this idea, and she liked it. She's come to almost every session herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so we've been ha- we actually have been having a lot of fun with it. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's fun. We've had Fallon Blazer on. I forget what episode it is. I can look it up right now. But, uh, no, it's fantastic. Um, basically, the Brooklyn Reserve has become a place, a new venue, where people can, you know, bring their plays. I think Anton's Well did a play there, right? They've done several plays there. And uh, Ubuntu has done a lot there. Anton's Well maybe has done one or two. I, I think. think Ubuntu found a new space over in Berkeley. Well, mm-hmm. they had at one point, and then that space is going through some turmoil. Who knows? Oh. oh. Yeah, Fallon's, uh, that's episode 85 of the Yay. Mm-hmm. But in any case, we had her on, and she talked about her uh, vision of, uh, you know, bringing, especially at that particular area, mm-hmm, right. where not a lot of folks get to see live theater or really anything live. Well, right. here's the thing. Oakland doesn't have a lot of this. Right. Mm-hmm. That we don't. I mean, everything happens in Berkeley or San Francisco. Right. Or, you know, some of the suburbs have a small theater where mm-hmm. I've had some shows done in the burbs. But, um, you know, what happened to Oakland Theater? I mean... You can't, and you can't have a real theater scene mm-hmm. unless you have a way for people starting out to get into it. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's exactly and right. And small theaters, and I mean, that's what—that's the lifeblood of New York City. Is all the little small spaces, people's living rooms where you go, and you know. Yeah. Here. That's how I got my start when I was coming out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly in right. In New York. In New York, when I was uh, as I was going to school in uh, at, at NYU, I would supplement because my parents really could not afford uh, any of that at all, especially my living arrangements. So, I supplemented myself by stage managing, doing a lot of off, off, off Broadway stuff, like stage managing here and doing light board operating here. And you're absolutely right; a lot of folks would just convert their living rooms or whatever, or some yeah. unit would become a stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was quite and interesting. Yeah. You know, it's really, in a way, it's the most authentic theater there is. Because mm-hmm. the people are doing it because they love theater. Yes. And mm-hmm. that is why, you know, they're not making any money from it or anything. Yeah. And they're hoping to go on. And now, especially in New York, with 
the junk that's on Broadway, mm. you know, the yeah. Walt Disney Oh, sure, stuff. sure, the disney Did you know stuff. that, like, the majority of spaces in New York are owned by Disney and that some of the plays are written by his teams? Or oh, I, think I, no, that. I didn't know yeah. that, yeah. Like five men sitting around a room writing a book, Broadway show? Yeah, oh. huh, that's <laughs> interesting. Like well, TV. Yeah. Change, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more about that and about all sorts of other things, and also about your life and you getting involved in playwriting. But as we begin each, each uh, podcast, uh, how how was your week, Mona? Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I so uh, every spring I do uh, teaching down at Nueva School, a private school in the peninsula, mm-hmm. and uh, that started this week. But I also still have my Thursday night class in Richmond, so that meant Thursday I had to get from. Hillsboro to Richmond. Waze said I was going to get there with one minute to spare, mm-hmm. and then no minutes to spare, and then three minutes to spare, and finally I did get there with like two minutes to spare. Okay. But and then ran straight into a class. So, mm-hmm. it was, uh, but you know, I also <coughs> have had a couple of days off. So balancing the chaos with the what do I do now is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, h- how's the teaching been? How, how are the kids grasping? Well, so uh, what I'm doing at Nueva this time is uh, Peter and the Starcatcher. Mm-hmm. So, and this, since I'm just meeting the kids, this is sort of an intro to the piece. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be going well enough. I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm always amazed at how we take some script and then find a way to come up with a little 40-minute response to mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so this will be, and this one is even stranger. It's... Um, it's very chaotic. It's very. If there were such a thing as an American Monty Python, uh-huh. I think that's the attitude they took towards the story, telling the story okay. on stage. But at least they're active. At least their uh, their minds are being engaged. I don't know how what the oh, age group is. The program is, is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the program. So they're all going to go. The whole seventh grade class will go to Ashland in mm-hmm. May. Oh, cool! And they'll see a bunch of shows. So our pieces are based on the shows they're going to see. We give them. A deeper learning mm-hmm. about what those plays are and maybe structurally what's going on. Mm-hmm. Last year I did Mother Road, um, Octavio Solis' new piece, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was really challenging because it was he had done it with sort of a Greek chorus kind. I actually I know him, so I wrote <laughs> and said, "Hey, I'm I'm reading this play, and are you thinking like Greek chorus? Is that what's kind of going on here?" The ensemble just acts as this, you know, group voice, mm-hmm. and then different people play. You know, they stop at a diner, and the waitresses and the people in the diner. Yeah. That was actually one of the funnest scenes <coughs> to block. Mm. And those are the things that drive me crazy, because I'm like, how am I going to make this scene work? How am I going to keep these kids engaged? And that scene opens up into a flashback, so it was great. I had all of my extra actors up along the mm-hmm. upstage sitting facing away from the audience as if they were at a diner counter. Yeah. And then when the flashback happened, they just sort of exploded out from Oh, nice. There. It was very fun. <laughs> very, uh, very cool. Yeah, Peter and the Starcatcher is the sort of prequel to Peter Pan. Yeah. And uh, they're pirates. So it's cool. going to be fun. <laughs> very, very nice. Uh, before I jump into current events, I got a wonderful letter. So um, so my mom had asked me. My mom is an <coughs> ordained minister mm-hmm. in um, Virginia. Right. And she asked me, uh, this is before Christmas holiday season, can you write a play for our, you know, the oh. Christmas thing? 
And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. And I have to be very careful because, you know, I'm very, especially being here in the Bay Area, very mm-hmm. liberal. So I want to be engaging and, you know, write some, you know, really interesting storylines or whatever. And I wrote one draft and sent it to her. And, of course, she's sending it to her church lady friends. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, we want it to be more Bible-based and uh, it's a little too complicated. You know, these are kids. And oh, I'm like, for well, kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I wrote a little piece, Patty's Christmas, and basically Patty is upset because she isn't getting the gifts that she wants, and Uh she thinks that Christmas is all about her. Right. She goes to sleep because she's being punished, and she dreams about visiting baby Jesus, and she has to protect her from baby Jesus from Herod and, you know, whatever, all based on the Bible. Wow. So in any case, to make a long story short, after a couple of back and forths, I got a nice letter back really just this week Mm -hmm. from the woman saying, oh, thank you so much for the play, and um, it it went wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And it was funny. My mom says, so... You know, I thought, you know, you know these the, these kids or whatever. These this is this is for, supposed to be for black people, and I'm like, Mom, I know that. She's like, Well, you didn't write it for a black person, right? I mean, Patty isn't black. It's like, of course she's black. Why would you, why would you say that? What black woman would name her her daughter Patty? Ah! <laughs> and I'm like, I don't see that big problem. It was a funny little exchange. With all the things that they do name people. <laughs> Speaking of parents, Monday is my dad's birthday, ah. so let me get to shout-outs for birthdays. Yeah, time, yeah, that's nice. Add that in. Yeah. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say about the week, because it's yeah. just, that was crazy, and apparently we're getting into audition season, mm-hmm. and so I've got three auditions coming up next week. So oh, good, pretty good. We'll talk about that yeah. next weekend. Yeah. See how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's jump into current events. Are you surprised about Super Tuesday? I thought it was going to be Bernie's world and, uh, Ber- uh, you know, Biden just you I'm know, came disappointed. Back. That's what I'm I, I am disappointed. And, you know, we were talking, Judith, off mic. Elizabeth Warren did nothing wrong at all. Nothing. That's what I was saying. Yeah. That if a man had done and said exactly everything she said mm-hmm. and did, he would be the candidate right now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because she has some of the you know, new ideas of Bernie, mm-hmm. yeah. or he has hers, one exactly. way or the other. Mm-hmm. They have the same, you know, <coughs> everyone deserves to have health care, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. And then at the same time, she's calmer, she doesn't shout at people, Yeah, she's a very organized person, she, has, she had ideas for exactly how she was going to get everything done. Yeah. And if a man had come in with that, psh, the country would have been all over him. Yep. I'm amazed yeah. at the misogyny of, of uh, I mean, you know, every every female candidate has gone, unless you count Tulsi Gabbard, but really, uh, you know, what I don't see what <laughs> she has. Well, that cracks me up how much they don't count her. <laughs> <laughs> they say, so the women are out of the race. I'm like, well, tel- there's so, Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, well, she doesn't have any delegates, but well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she doesn't have any, you know, she really doesn't have political experience or anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they I think and it's absolutely fair to just count her out. Really. <laughs> yeah, I do. And, and she's and she's a blue dog Democrat. I mean, I listened to her. She did a, a podcast with Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and she talked about you know her experience as a soldier. You know, she was an ex, I think, uh, army person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she's a. I'm not sure if she's a representative or a senator. No, I don't think she's a senator. But a lot of the ideas that she has, you know, is really very much blue dog Democrat like. Right. You know, yeah. um, that appeals to. And it does appeal to that segment. Yeah. But, <clears throat> you know, the vast majority of folks, I mean, there are people who – what's interesting about the whole Elizabeth Warren dropping out, now Bernie and Biden are trying to get her endorsements. 
We'll have to edit that out. Sorry. Isn't there a side switch? I know on the Mac, it, I mean on the iPhone it is. In any case, so Bernie and uh, Biden are trying to get her endorsements. And Elizabeth Warren is upset with Bernie because apparently some of Bernie's supporters have been attacking some of Warren's supporters. Basically yeah, some a, a lot. Apparently. A lot. Yeah. It's been a lot. You've heard about this? Yeah, yeah, and some of my friends who are Warren supporters have been getting nasty oh, yes. remarks from – and also, I mean, when he ran against Hillary – Mm-hmm. Some of his bros, I heard one story that some of his bros beat people up in ooh, Seattle. Ooh, I didn't and, hear about yeah, that. Yeah, there were stories. And, yeah. they, and he never seems to say, come out and say, look, you know, I want your support, but I don't want any kind of violence. I don't want any kind of nasty remarks to yeah. people. He doesn't ever say anything. You know, that's he a good does. point. He'll say stuff, but, yeah, it's weak, and but, but he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't put down a strong... <coughs> You know, you're not. You don't represent me. He doesn't distance himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had heard that Bernie had said something to the effect of, "Well, I didn't know anything about it." Oh, you know, that's you know, that like, is what he says. Yeah, and that's, that's not like and, uh, so much bullshit. I can't even yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he thinks he knows all about everything else, but he doesn't know what his own people are doing, right. mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. You know? yeah. Let me ask you this question, Judith, just po- politics, because you, I'm sure you remember the days when um, I think the first ever. Um, female to run for president was um, Shirley Chisholm in 1972. For a major party. Yeah, yeah, for a major party. And then later on it was Geraldine Ferraro who ran with Mondale. Um, Why do you think, you know, other countries don't have this problem? I mean, you know, there's been Margaret Thatcher. There's been Judith Merkel. What's the problem with America? It's very, I don't know. It's very interesting. And I've been working lately on a play about Susan B. Anthony. Ah. And uh, I've reading history of that era but also I've done a lot of reading in that era yeah and uh, which is for people that don't know maybe the second half of the 1800s you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, one of the things I just read in the book I'm reading today is that a, the number of countries who had voting before we had it yeah that's right Finland mm-hmm. Norway mm-hmm. Uh, I, f- I can't even remember what they all were, but, um, you know, you would think, well, here we are, the great beginning mm-hmm. democracy of the first exactly. cons- written constitution and all this <laughs> stuff. And people have um, copied our ideas of democracy mm-hmm. all around the world. Yes. They've, you know, we, we've had a huge influence, and yet we have not really given – made a, a true space for the competent women. Yeah. Shirley Chisholm was way able. Right. Yeah, of course. Sure. And, Absolutely. You know, uh, she could have she, she could have done a good job. But we haven't the they in fact even the New York Times, which I read every day, as soon as um, Elizabeth started, well a lot of people have wondered questions of whether a woman could really win. Right. They start in on that, you mm-hmm. know, before she's even said anything. Yeah, right. it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, and, and, you know, the media sort of feeds into that, you know, basically saying, well, these are what other people are saying, so what do you say about right, that? Right, exactly. Forming that narrative. People are st- saying. Yeah. And why, do you, why does that have to be news? Why does that, have to, that question even have to be brought up? But right. you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, even in countries where that are very oppressive to women, like India, 
had, uh, I think, right. Indira Gandhi and uh, yeah. Golda Meir, Benazir Bhutto in, mm-hmm. um, in I think, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fascinating. I don't, I don't know what's, you know, we have this ideology, and there are even some women who buy into it. You know, I think they, um, I forget what the, uh, the June Cleaver movement, where, you know, there are women Republicans who buy into this narrative that, well, this is the woman's place and this is the man's place. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's uh, it's not only very frustrating uh, for women, but it's it's a loss because um, you know I I think Elizabeth would have done a better job as president by far than either of the two men left. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. With that with that said, well, I voted for her. Yeah. <laughs> with that said, are you going to vote for whoever becomes the not? Oh nominee? yeah, I mean, uh, you know, well that gives me a chance to bring up my book. Yeah. Um, so I've, I think that this person who's, who's our so-called president right now, who I call Drumpf, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is the unbelievably bad, horrible person uh, to have yeah. in charge of the country. Right. And I, I think maybe he's taking our, our, our democracy down. I believe so, too. And we'll have you read a passage from, because I know you have some poetry, and we'll have you read that. I wanted to, uh, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. There's some other uh, current events. Uh, um, is, there, is there a ship somewhere <laughs> off the coast? Oh, uh, goodness, yeah, coronavirus, yeah. And, you know, half of the, half of the inhabitants of that ship are, are infected. And if they don't get those folks off the boat, all of them will be infected. Right. Well, and what was weird is, as I was driving in, I heard, the people on the ship didn't find out about it mm-hmm. from the people on from the ship. They were told by the uh, news. They said they turned on their TV and they found out that that's what so was going on with their ship. So you're talking about the ship where 19 <coughs> people were infected and, and 12 of them were... I think 24 out of 42. The numbers keep going up. Yeah. Were, um, were people working on the ship? Right? <laughs> I think so. I and then they moved it. They wouldn't let it dock, and they moved it down the coast. A- exactly. And That's exactly And so right. now you're saying that a lot of those people are infected? Yeah, I think there are 42 people on the boat, 24 are infected. That's what, that's what I heard. Oh, now you're talking about another ship, man, because okay. there's, a, there's a big ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cruise. it's got like 2,000 people or something. Right. Oh, and okay. uh, they found that 22 people were infected. And 19 of them mm-hmm. were people working on the ship. Well, there's no control of right. people working on the ship. Right. They're mm. on and off of ships. Wow. They right. come from different countries. Yeah. They're yeah. interacting you know. with lots of people. Yeah. They're interacting. They're bringing you your tea and mm-hmm. whatever. And brings right. The supplies and in your room, everything. Yeah. They are yeah. in your space. Cleaning your bathroom. Yeah. I mean, and, um, yeah, and then so they... That, that ship was trying to land somewhere, mm-hmm. and then they wouldn't let it. So then after three days, they moved it down off the coast, and they won't let the people off the ship until everyone's right. been tested. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's uh, every time I tell myself, you know, everything's going to be okay, you hear some other news. and no, South by Southwest canceled. That's right. I heard about you know, that. This and, and that's smart. And people are complaining about it, and they're like, do you understand when you bring thousands of people together, if there is mm-hmm. a carrier in that group? It could go to oh, half yeah. of them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be – it's a really weird uh, thing. In our 
in my family, mm-hmm. uh, my husband has uh, been going down to Florida to play golf with his brother mm. in March <coughs> for several years mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they want to see each other, so they play golf together. Right. And um, he canceled last week. Oh. Yeah. He canceled. Uh-huh. And I was like, really? Oh. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of like everything is, he said, well, I would be in at least four right. uh, air, air, you know, airplane That's right, the, air, the right. airplanes, and, and it's affecting the airline industry. Of and now, the flat, f- round trip to, to Hawaii, mm-hmm. they, it's less than $200. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was reading about that. Because the airline industry, they're getting hit hard. Yeah, I bet they are. Oh. And it's one of the worst places to be. I mean, air right. flow right. is it's recir- yeah. Well, we just came back from Hawaii, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. my family. Air, we yeah. and, and I I wondered about that, you know, but it was just just before the whole thing mm-hmm. really hit right. hard. Yeah. And so I was like, you guys, you guys <laughs> timed it just right. <laughs> Yeah, any so. public space right now just feels a little. Yeah. 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 Um, I was telling my mm-hmm. my sister. I said, uh, "People like us who like to garden, uh-huh. we're we have a little bit of advantage because we're happy alone right. in the right. yard right. with nobody around." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so there's a documentary, Hillary, which uh-huh. is uh, coming out. And uh, it got a little bit of controversy because Bill Clinton had made a statement about Monica Lewinsky, basically oh, right. saying yeah. that he is his tryst. W- he only did it to manage his anxi- his anxiety. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, oh, I don't that think he it only okay. did it. To, he didn't say that. He said he said, uh, you know, it was one of those things that people do because, and one of the influences was that you you have anxiety. You mm-hmm. know. So you, you maybe take a drink, you have sex with somebody or whatever. Uh, right, that, that's how he was trying know. to spin it. Yeah. And, you know, it's only news because, well, I think, honestly, I think the Republicans are trying to dirty up Clinton, to dirty up the, the Republican mm-hmm. Party. I'm sorry, the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. But I think Clinton is also trying to still appease or trying to clean up his image. I mean, you know, yeah, he was the darling of the Democrat Party, you know, back but in the yeah. 90s. Reg, isn't it ridiculous that they've made such a big deal about him having an affair. It wasn't right. right. It was mm-hmm. stupid. But, you know, and w- and on the other hand, we have a president who is, you know, he has, has he's gone into bankruptcy five times. That's exactly right. He has 29 women accusing him of he's sexual He's on his third hand. wife. He's on his third <laughs> wife, and he's been unfaithful to all three of them. Right, exactly. yes. He's uh, a liar, liar, liar. He mm-hmm. lies up and down every and sideways day. every exactly. day. And and the Washington Post is documenting every mm, one of them. Yeah. Oh, so it's CNN. Then. And Daniel so Powell. and then the Republicans are like, "Well, Bill Clinton had a, an affair, right? Uh, exactly. Gee, you know, right, right. like, well, that's really, really bad." It's amazing how loyal the Republican Party are. They really don't care. Mm-hmm. Who you know th- their person is? They right. will stand. You know, right. I think there's a line that says that Democrats fall in love, Republicans mm-hmm. fall in li- uh, fall in line. Oh. oh, interesting. Oh. Well, you know, the thing is, people always say to me, uh, any Republican I know, they say, well, you know, he's kind of nasty, and I don't really like him. I don't approve of his Twitter remarks, right, but right. but he's doing such a good job. Right, that's oh, what they say. And so Fox mm-hmm. News is selling what yes. he's doing as a good job. Oh, yeah. Oh, there have been. Uh, there was a recent story, um, a reporter 
uh, created a new Facebook page, you know, uh, identity persona, um, and started tagging into Republican stuff. Mm-hmm. And so every day he would look at the news sources that they were citing, um, and he said things like um, the impeachment trial. He said, if you saw it on any other network or if you saw it live, which, you know, most of us did, um, who were, you know, paid any attention to that, you saw it live, you saw one thing. He said, when you saw the edits that they did for Fox News and stuff like that, because Fox News is not even the worst of them, um, he said, you would believe that everything that was being done proved that the president had done nothing wrong and that he was being attacked. It was like, oh. Well, you know, there's just going to be some amazing books writ- written about this era. And, you know, when you think of all the books that have been written about Hitler mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how he got in yeah. and what he said. That's, and, a, that's a great and point. every, you know, it's going to be uh, it. But the question is whether we're going to have a democracy left. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let yeah. me re- read my poem. Yeah. Um, so I just want to mention I have this little chapbook that I put together myself. Um, it's not, it wasn't published by some place. It's called The Grating of America. And I've been, and I did it because I just got so pissed about what was going on. And it has um, a whole bunch of uh, political cartoons by a wonderful cartoonist called Nick Anderson, mm. who, wor- who is the cartoonist for the Washington Post and is syndicated around the country. Um, so I'm just going to read one poem from it, but I'm, I, there's an interview on um, KPFA this week at, on Wednesday, which is the we decided the, the 11th. 11th. Yes. <laughs> we, yes. we were looking up yep. at from three to four. There's a book. Uh, there's a program called Open Book, mm-hmm. and Nina Serrano interviewed me for it, and um, and so you can hear me read it oh, two great. or, th- yeah, two or three other mm-hmm. poems and talk about my. But here's uh, here's just one. This is from early on. I wrote it on 3rd of March, 2018, and it's called The Rise of the Gog Magog. Now, a Gog Magog is like a monster. Right. And it's actually a real thing. You can look it up in the dictionary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called Gog Magog. The Rise of the Gog Magog, or the president who thought he was a king and the Congress that thought they were his court. And it's, it's in a style, you'll hear a, some, a certain amount of rhyme, that I just thought, uh, one thing I do with my poetry is I tend to look for a style that I think fits the, I, the subject. Mm-hmm. And this is what I chose. So here's the poem. <coughs> I can't read about it anymore, Facebook friends say. Don't send to me. Angry grumbling shrouds the land, an oily smog. Make him take his endless lies, his diarrheal mouth, and go away. In newsrooms, editors stare at screens, open-mouthed, agog. In Mar-a-Lago, his Prussian palace on a Florida bog, the alligator himself has his toady friends to play with departments he gives them to destroy, then monologues the dawn with shrieking tweets. I can't read about it anymore, friends say. I'm building us a wall, 
Foghorn's president toupee. The greatest wall you ever saw. Who needs these Mexican dogs? I'm guarding all the borders, keeping Muslim hordes away. Bigly, they putrefy our land, claims our misselected demagogue. The ruling party's Congress, now unchecked, smirks and hogs the entitlement trough, keeps sick, elderly, and poor at bay, runs fake investigations, ignores constituent email logs. Make them stop. This leaves us out, helpless voters pray. Sir Mitch of Senate, hobgobbling over his chins, tosses away public schools and arts, connives with Lord Ryan of Grins to unclog the pipeline of benefits to the rich. The middle class can pay. They still have money. <laughs> Web reporters strain to create an honest blog. We can't survive this very long, terrified citizens pray, as they sway, tip, and topple on a stinking, sinking bog of democracy going bad. Take this Russian nightmare away. In newsrooms, reporters search the gray horizon for a fog dog. Barely hope for it anymore. And that's it? That's it. Wow, that, that is fantastic. Thank you. That is Now, I should wonderful. tell you, a fog dog, I'll tell you what a fog dog is. It's when the sun comes up behind fog. Oh, right. And you see a kind of red, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. behind the fog. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a fog dog. So it's like some some kind of hope through the fog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, actually We're probably the longest one in the whole book. I, mm -hmm. I don't know why I chose that one. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the, and what's the name of the book again? It's called The Grating of America. It's around, and it's in Walden Pond Books and mm -hmm. uh, own company bookstore. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you can also get it uh, at laurelbookstore.com. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway. Oh, is that what they're doing now, Laurel? Is just a website? It's dot, it's dot com, yeah. Uh, yay. Yeah, yeah. And, still we'll, and we'll put a link in it so that people can um, can click Great. on it and, and uh, grab Great. it. And mm -hmm. with that, let's do an origin story, Judith Offer. So uh, how did you get involved? And we talked a little bit off mic. Mm -hmm. So you're originally from – you're not from Washington, D.C., but you're from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So tell us um, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Uh, well, I, I'm uh, the second of nine children. Mm -hmm. My dad was in education. And um, – <coughs> We moved around a lot. I went to seven grammar schools. Oh. And basically ended up having horrible uh, education in a way because, like, I studied American Indians four times, but I never got to the, you know, <coughs> other other parts of American history. No. Um, and But then I felt, fortunately, we landed in, in New Jersey. We lived in uh, upstate New York. Massachusetts, downstate New York, and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And in New Jersey, my high school was very, very, very good mm. high school. Was mm. it Newark or Jersey? No, it was in Bergen County. Okay. And it was a, 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 one of those high schools where seven little towns all went to the oh, same high uh -huh. school. Nice. And they, it was kind of new. It was only like two or three old years old when I went there. Mm -hmm. And they had a lot of money in those towns. We uh -huh. were like the poor family uh -huh. in the town. 
those that great big Catholic family would never mm. had any, right. you know, mm. new clothes and stuff. Well, um, the other, a lot of the other people around had had fairly good amounts of money, and my actually my father wanted to move there because we'd get a good education. And uh, so, so the school had, like, we had teachers that had taught at Harvard. Mm. And um, that was where I got all my education, <laughs> four years of high school. Uh -huh. And then I went off to a small Catholic college in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And I went there mostly because they had an au pair program, because there was absolutely no money for my school, you know, uh -huh. at home. So... Um, my father, um, speaking of uh, misogyny, my father told me that they had given the money to my brother because uh -huh. he was a boy. Right. And he needed to have an education because he was going to have to earn a living. Right. Mm. Whereas I wasn't going to have to earn a living. I guess. Right. have to marry someone, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, I went to this school because I could work for a family 20 hours a week. Huh? And then they gave you your room, sure. your board, mm -hmm. and... Uh, bus money to get from their house to school. Right. Was this during the war period? <laughs> uh, well, no, it was um, I graduated in 1964. Okay, so okay, there you go. It was like before, well, the Vietnam War well, was... But so, sort of yeah. underground at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Building and, up, yeah. Uh, and then I, I uh, taught for, actually for a semester, I taught English as a second language, mm -hmm. but then it, that didn't bring enough money to live on. Yeah. So I got a job in the. I was in Washington D.C. and I got a job mm -hmm. in Anacostia High School, wow. which is a section of Washington. Yeah, Southeast D.C. Yeah. And it was actually extremely interesting um, because it was a school that was in the in the change, mm -hmm. racial change. Uh -huh. Yeah. And when I started there. I taught there three years. Mm -hmm. <coughs> the first year, it was almost exactly 50% black, 50% white. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It was very interesting. It's in amazing the, because in that I, year. Yeah, know? because, of course, I grew up in during the 70s and 80s, and, of course, Anacostia was just totally – and, of course, we haven't gotten into – when King was killed, you know, a lot of D.C., a lot of, a lot of black cities or uh -huh. cities that had a black population – was really just sort of devastated, you know, with all right. of the riots. And so when I grew up, Anacostia was purely black, and it was really, really wow. poor. It was war-poor. <laughs> it was crime-ridden. You know, kids would make fun of kids who came from, from Anacostia. So you came from a time period prior to any of that happening. Yes, I did. Well, and when they first – what happened was uh, they tore down essentially all of the southwest of Washington, which had become – pretty much a slum, mm -hmm. but they literally left one church in 40 square blocks, huh. one church, uh -huh. everything else they tore down, and they built new housing, and when they did that, they moved 40,000 black people out of the southwest of Washington. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because right, you know, part of it was right next to the Capitol, and they uh -huh. wanted to get rid of that slum. Sure. So they... They built public housing over in Anacostia. Yep. Uh -huh. And all That's those people were moving in, into there. Wow. And um, I came along. Well, when they first did it, they, in order to avoid any violence, mm. they canceled all extracurricular activities. Uh -huh. hmm. No football. No yearbook. Uh -huh. No wow. drama club. Uh -huh. No anything. No, no prom. Nothing. 
No proms. Wow. No prom. They came to school. They went home. Right. And then by the time I got there, they were starting to have a few activities. Mm-hmm. And they were not having, you know, any violence at all. And we had essentially no drugs on campus. Mm-hmm. This was, I started in January of 65 because I uh-huh. did six months of teaching English second language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the kids were perfectly civilized. And um, the only thing is they, they tended to segregate themselves. Yeah. They come in the class. All the black kids would sit on one side of the room. Right. Mm. So I, I was totally naive. Uh-huh. I had, you know, had a few black friends in my life, but I didn't really know very many black people. Yeah. So um, I did things like one day I said to my homeroom, I had the B's, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. the A's and the B's. Okay. So th- I said to them, there's so many people named Brown in this class. <laughs> they said, <laughs> and they were used, by that time they were kind of used to me. Right. So they said, Miss Spitzer, you know, that was my maiden name, yeah. Miss Spitzer, you know, because I said, oh, yeah, that's right. Probably you got, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But, um, but I, I didn't do anything mean on purpose. So sure. they were like, okay, fine. Yeah. But I told, I told my classes, uh-uh, you have to just sit in alphabetical order. And uh-huh. you know what? They didn't do anything. Yeah. They just uh-huh. said, so you integrated okay. your class. Yeah. yeah. They said, okay. <coughs> yeah. They sat down, and they mm-hmm. didn't – nobody complained. No. no parent complained. Nobody uh-huh. did anything. Yeah. And then uh, also another thing was the teacher's lunchroom was segregated. Uh-huh. Wow. And, and so I, one day I said – I had talked to different, you know, teachers and after a few weeks, and I said, okay, I just sat down with some of the black teachers. And they just talked to me. And, uh, and so the next day, the mm. lunchroom was mixed. Right uh-huh. on. You know, <laughs> Fantastic. You know, so this is what I learned is sometimes you just can't, you know, you have to just go ahead and do it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and not assume yeah. that everybody is going to be like, yeah. ooh. Right. Now let, me, let me ask you a question along those lines. I'm, I'm, I don't know how your family or you, how your father felt about integration or whatever because there was a lot of just tensions, you know, not only directly but also indirectly. I wonder – Well, first place, my parents were in Pennsylvania. They had nothing to do with it. Well, sure. But how did they feel? I mean, how did they but feel about the whole integration well, segregation? Well, there was thing? a mixed bag there, but my father had – when he was in uh, – uh, college, he lived at home in Buffalo, New York, and he worked at a theater, a movie theater, hmm. back in the day when they had like ushers in sure. the movie theaters. Right. And yeah. big. Well, the man <coughs> who worked there as a janitor was a black man. Mm-hmm. And my father said he was one of the smartest, nicest men you'd ever want to meet. And he was very influenced by that. Uh-huh. Like, huh. And he was like, you know, well, whatever, you got to give him a certain chance. You know, he's kind of – and uh, a lot of places we lived or worked, there weren't any black people there, but he – they never said anything, and they were absolutely against making any rude remarks about anybody's religion oh, good, or good. race yeah. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up expecting, you know, to just kind of be treat people, see what they did mm-hmm. before you did – and then uh, also when my father, w- at the time that we lived in uh, New City, New York, he was the curriculum director and 
he hired all the teachers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he hired the first black teacher. Wow, in that is awesome. In uh, Bert, in that county, yeah, mm. uh, and he was fired because of it. My father. Oh wow. <coughs> with, uh, I think he had six kids at the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what he did was he found another job outside of the actual educational mm-hmm. setting. Uh-huh. He found a job teaching. I mean, uh, selling educational materials uh, uh-huh. to mm-hmm. the school system. Yeah. But also he sued them and he got his money back oh for good. the year. Good for him. So really? yeah. yeah. So my you know, my father was like, you know, he wasn't like they didn't have like a lot of black friends or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But he was like like, let's get over this. Well, it sounds like know? he didn't believe in the segregation. No, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. You and I were talking off mic about your creating stories, even when you know, before you got in. I a had no idea I was a playwright. No yeah. idea at all. And I didn't. And in the day, they never told girl. They never even called on you in class most of the time. Oh. And mm. they never. And these teachers were smart in uh-huh. high school. But but I had one situation where we had to write a short story. And the teacher accused me of copying it out of a book. Oh, so good. wow. Oh, that's and, wonderful. And kept me after school uh-huh. and was trying to get me to admit it. And I finally started crying. I said, I, I, I wrote it myself. Yeah. And so, oh, never mind. Just go home. Mm-hmm. Like that. Uh-huh. Oh. But I don't think he ever, they, they never really thought that a girl would do anything. That's amazing. You know? That's amazing. And um, this was back in the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I went off to school and I just to college mm-hmm. and I it wasn't a great college. Yeah. And you studied English, right? I, st- I was an English major. Yeah. I didn't. I knew that I could. You know, I always got A's in English, so mm-hmm. I figured I might as well do that. So you hadn't done any theater before any of that? Well, I, in high school, I was in uh, some. I was in the drama club and okay. I was in a few plays. Oh. oh. And that's how I, I knew. And then I had one wonderful teacher. You know, we all all have that. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Maxson. And she um, introduced us to Shakespeare. Mm. And she started, I'll never forget the first day, she played all the witches uh-huh. herself. Oh, wow, Macbeth? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Double, double, blow in trouble, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she had these long fingernails, and she <laughs> screwed her face up. And I was like... Uh-huh. I know, like this. Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, so I learned a little bit about drama and um, got a little bit of support, you know, for that. But I didn't think of myself as g- becoming anything to do with theater uh-huh. at all. I didn't want to be an actress, really. Uh-huh. And I went off to college, and I studied to be uh, an English teacher, and that's what, I, what's, that's what I did. But I always felt like I wasn't really being what I was. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was something, yeah. I didn't really, and I didn't even figure out, I was I was keeping a little notebook of poetry. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever thought of myself as a writer, I was the second year I was married. Mm. I was, like, around 30. My husband gave me uh, a typewriter hmm. for Christmas. Uh-huh. And he was said it was so I could send my poetry out. And so that's when I started investigating, where do you send it when you send poetry out? And I decided I was going to take a uh, a Berkeley Extension class called Women Writing Poetry. Uh Mm -hmm. And um, I met some other poets and found out where to write. And what happened was that 
like the first three or four poems I set out just got taken immediately. Right on. And I thought, whoa, this is going to be easy. I'm a writer. Were you and in the Bay at the time? Yeah, I was living in Concord. Okay. Oh. Our first house was in Concord, and then six years after we moved there, we decided we wanted to move in to do closer uh -huh. things. Mm -hmm. Was Stuart to be from out here, or you guys just ended he, up out Stuart here? Stuart is from Seattle. Oh, how did you guys he end up was, uh, Well, he was, um, he became a lawyer. Right. He, he went to UW, Washington, uh -huh. in Washington, where he lived, and then he went to um, Columbia mm -hmm. for law school, mm -hmm. and then he got a deferral because it was during the Vietnam War. Right. Mm -hmm. He got a deferral, um, and he was offered a clerkship on the U.S. Tax Court, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so he was he was uh, very he became very interested in the whole taxes thing. He's mm -hmm. got that kind of mind with figures and uh, yeah, and um, so in order to do that, he had to get another deferral. So he ended up owing the Army four years. Uh -huh. And what happened was they trained all, all of these people who had been in ROTC mm -hmm. um, at the same place, and they were all lawyers. Mm -hmm. And they sent half of them to Vietnam and half to the Pentagon. Uh -huh. And he was one of the Pentagon ones. Oh. Wow. Uh -huh. he, was, he was very lucky. <coughs> so anyway, his, his – um, the man that he worked for when he was a clerk, his uh -huh. judge, mm -hmm. right. um, was friendly with, of course, with the other judges. And um, the judges set up some social events for their clerks. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the women in my office, father, was one of the other judges. Uh -huh. And so she was getting married. And she had a party, and Stuart was at the party, and I was at the party. Oh, that's how you guys met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you the story. I saw him coming across the room, and I could tell he was coming to talk to me. And I thought to myself, damn, he's so good looking. I know he's a shit. Because uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I had met all these men in Washington that were uh -huh. so impressed with themselves. You uh -huh. know. And I thought, oh, mm. I'm going to be stuck with him, you know. Mm. And then he was very nice. And um, what happened was we we were going through the line to get buffet. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I got off. We got off the line with our trays. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And um, I could see this other woman in our in our office mm -hmm. sitting with her husband. And her husband had just gotten out of a year in um, a mental institution. Oh. And he was, you could tell he was drugged. He was sitting oh, there, you uh -huh. know, like with that look. Kind of yeah. And um, I thought to myself, well, you know, this is a waste anyway. I might as, we might as well sit with her because nobody will sit with her. Right. And um, I just thought, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I, I, I just felt like I wasn't, I probably wasn't going to, see this guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out he sat there and he carried on a perfectly civilized conversation as if nothing was going on uh -huh. and was very thoughtful and mm -hmm. knew, knew how to – and I'm like, huh, he's kind of nice, you know. Uh -huh. And then he asked me if I wanted to ride home and 
that's how we started seeing each other. Wow. Yeah. So many years. And, uh, well, and so many years. And yeah. this, is, this is our 50th year now. Yeah. A lot of folks don't get those anniversaries. What is it? Yeah. Golden, silver, golden? I uh, can't remember what it is. is it's golden. Yeah, yeah, golden. Golden. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, he, he later, you know, he, had, he was basically the only one I had ever shown my poetry to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and he bought you a typewriter. He and bought he, me a he advised you your. And then I did that for like several years, mm-hmm. and I was I had a little girl, mm-hmm. and then um, one of the women that I met at my poetry workshop, and I became friends, and she was the um, critic for the Berkeley paper, mm-hmm. uh, the theater critic, oh. mm. uh-huh. and she was always getting two tickets for everything, uh-huh. and her husband was like sick of going to the theater. Mm. You know? uh-huh. And so she would take friends. So yeah. I went to the theater with her. And that was kind of when I started going to theater. I was in my 30s. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I, w- I had my first book of poetry. It's called The First Apples. Mm-hmm. And I was like, now what do I do? Because you can't just get up every morning and say, I'm going to write a poem this morning. You have to have an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'm like, maybe I should go back to teaching. Rebecca was ready to go to full-day school. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I'm one of those people that if I'm, if I'm trying to figure out what to do about something, uh-huh. I have to ask what Norman thinks, and I have to ask what Reg thinks, and ask all my friends, okay. and then take all their ideas. So I was going around, and I asked my friend Marty, who was the theater critic, mm. and she was – and she had already heard this conversation like right. three or four times. Uh-huh. Mm. And so she says to me, well, what do you want to do? Mm. You know, like uh-huh. yeah. And I said, I've always thought I could write a play. I had never consciously mm. given a moment's thought uh-huh. to writing a play. Huh. It, was, it was back in my right. mind somewhere. Yeah. Just waiting. And but, so but, sh- but I'm sure you had stories, some ideas. Yeah, I would. I was always, you know, making up stories. I uh-huh. still do. Like, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? So, um, so she said, "Well, why don't you just go home and write one?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I went home and wrote "Lights Dark," which I think you read one time about Lights um, Dark. Uh, a teacher in the Anacostia High School who decides she's going to do an interracial casting Uh of Romeo and Juliet. Uh She was was based on me because she was, like, totally naive. Mm -hmm. Well, wouldn't this be interesting if we made all of the Capulets black and all of the Montagues white? And, you know, the parents would love it, right? Yeah. Ooh. So. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to ask you, you were looking at, you know, when you were going to plays, and of course, you know, a lot of playwrights, they'll go to plays, like, you know, your friend was taking you to all these theaters in the Bay Area. What was Bay Area theater like back then? As, as well, I think it was, in a way, better than it is now, because there were, there were like, smaller mm-hmm. groups able to do things, mm-hmm. and uh, spaces weren't so expensive. Oh, and yeah. You know... I think some of these modern techniques that they have now, like putting film behind uh-huh. plays oh, yeah, and yeah, everything, yeah. they're they're fun, but they've made theater much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And you know, the Berkeley Rep. I mean, at the time, the Berkeley Rep was in an old movie Storefront, house. Yeah. 
on um, college, college mm-hmm. yep. in the Elmwood. Yeah. And they were a rep company. They mm-hmm. they would do every play together, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And they it was it it was pretty exciting for people. I think a lot of the neighbors thought it was terrific. You mm-hmm. know, they could yeah. just walk down there and go to the theater and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it was an idyllic time where you know you could just go. And, and, and see, yeah. And then they moved, and it, that was fine too. But then they, Sharon Ott came along, mm-hmm. and I was, by the time Sharon Ott came along, um, I was I had decided I was going to go back to school, and I went and got my master's degree in English, but with a, a specialty in playwriting. Uh-huh. Right on. Mm. And I did an internship at the Berkeley Rep. Uh-huh. And Sharon uh-huh. and I uh-huh. came at the same time. Right. She was her first <coughs> semester, mm. and it was my yeah. first semester. Can you tell the folks who Sharon Ott is? Uh, she was, uh, I think, probably for 20 years. She yeah. was the artistic director of the, the Berkeley, Berkeley Rep. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there, like, for her first play. Wow. Right. At... It was the tooth of crime, and she had decided. Oh, holy cow! She was going to direct two shows uh-huh. and to get. I think she wanted to kind of feel out the theater and. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I sat through all the rehearsals of Tooth of Crime and all the rehearsals of Twelfth Night, and all the rehearsals of, of some. It was a Commedia dell'arte something. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, she had not chosen those plays oh, uh-huh. because she, you know, she came in, took over mm-hmm. from somebody else. Um, uh, well, at least I don't, I don't think she had. But anyway, mm-hmm. they, uh, yeah, and I, I helped them with whatever they wanted me to do. Right. Yeah. Was that your first time, sort of getting the in learning the ins and outs of Absolutely. theater? Absolutely, it was wow. fascinating for me. Uh, yeah, no, I had that's never wild. seen. Anything about mm. what goes on, and I was officially assigned to be the um, the assistant uh-huh. to the tech director. Oh, yeah, you okay. know, yeah. he could tell me what to do. Right. No, that's a fantastic so. internship. Well, and being Kimberly that Webb. Do you know Kimberly uh, Webb? Uh, I don't. He was uh, he was he was fantastic at what he did. Mm-hmm. He was in. He knew what everybody was doing huh. and what time, and and then he always, no matter what was happening. He was always like very calm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Huh. Like, and this Throughout the chaos. Yeah. He, would, he would get on the loudspeaker and tell people what to do and mm-hmm. everything. In fact, we had one funny thing. When they were running Twelfth uh, Night, there was one scene. It was done as uh, Renaissance France or something. Uh-huh. Like that. Mm-hmm. And they had a bench, a park bench. And then here comes you know, the two lovers and mm-hmm. they're meeting on the park bench. So this one night, this is the show's running, right? Mm. So the guys come out from backstage with a bench and they put it down, right? And they go off. Mm-hmm. And one minute later, they come on and they take the bench off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sounds like they forgot their <laughs> they forgot to take it off. Where they were. <laughs> and and so Kimberly, I was up in the booth with yeah. him, which is where I was supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. he could send me on an errand if he needed. Mm. So I'm sitting there and he's going. Bring the bench back on. Bring the bench back. <laughs> <laughs> Which they never did. So, oh, yeah, oh. so they played the scene like they had uh-huh. to make up their own. <laughs> right. Their own stage. <laughs> they were great. I, I, you know, I, they I were can great. Tell stories like oh. that, too. Yeah. How did the two of you meet? 
Norman and uh, and you. I don't even know how you got um, got my my info, but she called me up to direct the piece. Yeah, I was by that time I had um, I had had some one act plays taken um, by uh, theater out in Pleasant Hill. Okay, and then. Um, I was writing other stuff, and I think I'd had another something else done. But um, we then I I wrote I wrote a musical, hmm. and it was a klezmer musical, hmm. and it had you know thirteen characters and a klezmer band and everything. And of course, I didn't know. I mean, I never know anything ahead of time, <laughs> so. I didn't know it was going to be so hard to find a theater that wanted to do an unheard of musical. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. So finally, my husband, my great husband, again, mm. he says, he says, um, <coughs> let's just do it ourselves, and we'll ca we'll call ourselves Anniversary Productions. Right. So, you know, I'll try anything once. So we did. We were our first thing we ever produced. We produce a full-length musical uh -huh. with 13 people wow. and all the musicians uh -huh. and everything. What space? Well, here's the thing. We st we started looking and looking and looking for space, and mm -hmm. it was going to be so expensive and everything. Finally, he was head of the board of uh, our, our kids' high school, which was college prep. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. And I was planting the gardens at college prep. So we said, let's go ask, he said, let's go ask, you know, the headmaster mm -hmm. sure. if we can rent their space. Right. Right. So, um, he, so he went and asked him and he said, he said, I need to talk to people, you know, to see if this is going to be okay because you are the head of the board. Mm -hmm. and, uh, right. Right. And we don't want to be, too, you know, favorites right. and everything. And he came back and he said to Stuart. He said, you guys have done so much here and everything. We just don't feel right running the space, so we'll loan it to you. Oh. Wow. Yeah. How's that as so, a cost saver? Uh, we had a beautiful theater, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a shop to mm -hmm. make right. the scenery, right. uh, a music room to practice the songs, mm -hmm. all kinds of good instruments, everything, yeah. lights, everything. We, mm -hmm. you know. And it was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Mm. Norman, I want to bring you in. So you directed one of her pieces. Um, yeah. What was the experience like? It was fun. It was – I had, at that point, been – I'd worked with the African-American Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. um, I'd started Oakland Public Theater. And I was really used to going into new spaces. But it's – nobody trains you on this stuff. They don't teach you right. how yeah. to do it. So you start – and for me, it's always finding out what the limitations are. When, what hours can we be in? What can we do? What can't we touch? You know, what is, you know, what's the possibility? Mm -hmm. uh, which is funny because it was um, framed of <laughs> possibility. Yeah, right. It was a play about modern art. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that right? It yeah. was called Frame of Possibilities. Ah. Mm -hmm. And it was at a space that had I been a, uh, yeah, Oakland it was Metro. really nice, yeah. wasn't it? I mm -hmm. love that space. It was, uh, it had been a, uh, a Greek dance hall. Uh-huh. Ah. And um, Tom had come along and mm -hmm. turned it into a, like a black box yeah. Yeah. theater. Tom, Tom who? Wait. I can't remember his last name. I can't remember his last name either. Okay. I might think of it in a minute. Mm. And, um... And so they had, like, those bleachers, like you have for 
met at athletic Sports, yeah. things. Yeah. And you could move them around, you right. know, to where you wanted them. And then nice. they had light. They had pretty good lights and sound. Yeah. yeah. And if you wanted, you could have – because uh, Oakland Public Theater ended up doing uh, Master Herald and Boys. Oh, nice. A few years later. And uh, we set up – they had cafe tables and mm-hmm. things that you could set up. You could put your you could put your playing space wherever you wanted, put your audience wherever you wanted. Yeah. And we were able to take advantage of that. But for Frame of Possibilities, we needed a gallery – and a studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we were able to make it work. <laughs> nice, nice. So, Judith, tell me, uh, your, how did you start interacting with Fallon and the Brooklyn Preserve? Well, I went to a show there, and um, it was Ubuntu Theater. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is really nice, you know. Because that space is so pretty, isn't it's it? It's a church. It is. It it's is. a beautiful it is. church. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and of course, you know, it's she she rents it for such a small amount of money mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. theaters groups try to try to use it right. and um i saw two ubuntu shows there mm. and i was going to ask them about possibly producing something of mine mm-hmm. and uh i ended up talking to fallon i didn't know who was right. responsible for what yeah I she's very behind the scenes <laughs> and um you know, she said she owned the space, and I start I talked to her about it. She said she wanted to have this space to make available mm-hmm. for groups that you know wanted to make the arts for the community and everything. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, she's great, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I started trying to think of what I could do, and that at that point I was uh, a little bit out of it because I had had shingles, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have you know, the energy to right. do some of the other things. I could yeah, do. yeah. So I thought, well, once a month I could have a reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then it's it has turned into fun, so I'm cool yeah. with continuing. It's, and it's a nice venue. I mean, it's a nice place because budding playwrights need their, their pieces to be heard. And, right. you know, we work with uh, the Play Cafe. They have a thing going on, the Playwright Center. But a lot of these places, they, they want money or there's some sort of a hook attached to it. You don't have that. I mean, you're basically, hey, we send don't your charge. Piece. We had we got a grant from somebody and mm-hmm. we, we just it's inexpensive to just make the play, you know, a few copies and right. Fallon doesn't take any money. I don't take any money. We just and mm-hmm. then uh, so we we've been okay with the grant and um, also I, I find it offensive to somehow charge everybody wants to charge the playwrights. They want to yeah. charge yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, you know, oh, send us your play, and I'll give you, an, you know, and it's only $200, and oh, I'll goodness. tell you how, you know, you can fix it and make it better or yeah. do this or do that. And I'm like, playwrights, I mean, I don't have this problem. I'm not a poor person. Mm. But a lot of playwrights are poor. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And they don't need an extra pay an extra $15, an extra $25. Yeah. Right. And a lot of these places, I mean, it, it feels like you're being hustled. It's like, well, you well, really yeah. don't care how good my piece is, or you don't care about right. development. You just want money. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, it, you know, it's Well, horrible. the other thing is that a lot of places only read one scene. Mm-hmm. That's a hopeless for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, if you're going to know something about your play, you need to hear the whole thing, right. whether it's right. ten minutes or an hour and a half or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Right. right. Because you have an arc in your play. Yeah. Or if you don't have an arc in your play, you better find that out too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
yeah, so I, I, I wanted a, a situation, I thought, a situation where we could hear, hear the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I thought this year maybe we were going to do a, a, a one-act production thing, mm. but um, it's, it's, as I've told you before, there are a lot of, lot of problems with it, so we, did, we decided not to do yeah. it. Well, the Brooklyn Preserve is still in development. You know, there are some lights and there are some other things. I mean, Fallon has done a great job in, you know, restoring it. They're restoring, restoring that yeah. building. I mean, that's, it's this beautiful church, and, you know, the fuck, the, there was a lot of fixing that's had to happen. Sure, sure. I mean, simple stuff. Floor, uh, a windows. A new roof, for one thing. Did they so get a new the, roof? Or they well, they one? had to because it was leaking yeah. and it was ruining things right. inside. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and, you know, and they, they've done it, you know, piece by piece, her right. and her husband. Right, um, But, you know, there's still more. And she just had a baby. So, right. you know, that also, you know, ties into it. But for what she's done, she's done a fantastic job in providing you know, something for community is well, a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, she seemed to want to make a community space, and mm -hmm. that's it's it's evolving in a wonderful way. She seems smart about yeah. taking it at the right pace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things I, w I was just looking at my notes here. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to make sure we talk about is the whole issue of diversity in playwriting. Absolutely, it's, it's very important. Now, we're at the one-hour mark. Is everyone okay with time? Yeah. I'm I'm good. I I've got a, the reason we're early today is because I have a recital that I they actually put me late in the program. Oh, so. did they? Okay, fantastic. Absolutely. So yeah, diversity is very very important. Yeah, I mean one of the things I mean I had a couple of goals for this play reading thing, mm -hmm. kind of loose goals. One was to um, try and get people to develop interesting women characters because. Mm -hmm. Women characters, actresses have been stuck with the same yeah, right. characters for so long. But another one was I'm interested, and in, uh, in my own writing too, to try to put people from different backgrounds together in yes. a play. Mm -hmm. yes. So often you see, um, you you know, there's a play in the ma major theaters, mm -hmm. so-called white or whatever, where there's one black person and that's the robber. Mm -hmm. you know? uh -huh. Or you have a place in the black theater. There's one white person, and that's the mean guy that won't rent right. the place to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, the truth is, in real life, in real life, it isn't like that. Yeah. Right. That's, that can happen, but there's a lot of other things that happen, a lot of other kinds of people and everything. And, that's and exactly I right. just felt yeah. like, you know, I wanted to encourage people. Let's let's write some plays for people. You mm -hmm. know, yeah, yeah. You had mentioned uh, off mic that you know you've gotten some selections, but the quality has been sort of up and down. I'm wondering how you know, as a teacher, what how kids or at least I guess the new generation. I don't even know the new generation of playwrights where they're getting their education from. You know, uh, earlier mm -hmm. in, a, in a, an episode we talked about the lack of education or how a lot of a lot of uh, young kids, um, the reading has gone down. Yeah. You know, I, I just wonder about the quality of the education system. How many people are reading and writing? Well, what I what I see is there's not a lot of people that are actually teaching the structure of it. Although mm -hmm. when I took my master's degree, there was a teacher there that taught how to structure your play. Mm -hmm. You know, um, who was that? Uh, I can't remember his name. 
And, you know, they, they excused me from it because yeah, I ahead. already had a bunch of legs. So they were structured. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, he did have a very organized program for showing, you know, how to bring in the characters and mm -hmm. develop the arc of the play and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I, I saw the outline that uh, some other people had. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think one of the things they do a lot of now is this – are play readings where they don't really ever talk about what's, you know, behind except the, they nitpick at, at this play. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. But they don't, they don't give you a sense of uh, maybe what overall, what you did right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or yeah, you need to balance your criticism with, right. hey, this is great, this, this works, but this is, you know. Uh, sure, there are things that don't work. Of course, it's development. That's what right. it's all about. But this is what works. This is yeah, a good foundation so to work on. so you know what you're looking for. Yeah. You know where you're going. You know what you're trying to find. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, so I think I think they do the same thing with poetry, too. They put you in a room. They put all these people around reading their poetry. Mm -hmm. And then they either, every every person, they say, oh, that was really good. Oh, that was beautiful, mm -hmm. and that yeah. was it. That's well, it. Yeah, that how that how does that help you? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, or or right. they they you know they nitpick. I had a teacher when I was doing my master's degree. He said, "Poetry is your poetry. You need to take all the out all the ands and thes and buts." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <You> know, like <laughs> Those are the conjunctions. <laughs> What conjunctions are you going to use? But, yeah. you know, that's not that's, – that, that's not – that's a particular style. That right. has yeah. nothing to do with I – I had a question for you that I ask all the playwrights. Finding different voices, like you mentioned diversity. Let's say there's a play that has a character from the South Bronx mm -hmm. and a person who is from upper-class New York. How does a particular playwright – like I, I find – you know, I, it sometimes it challenges me as, let's say, a black male writer – and have to write a part of a woman. So how do I find, let's say, the woman's voice? Well, here's the thing. You said, you know, you said you were imagining stories. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I realized after I started writing with plays mm -hmm. is I have been listening to people's voices all my ah, life. Ah, there right. you go. And I think that is the basis or one of the most important things about playwriting mm -hmm. is listening mm -hmm. to the way people talk to each other. Yes. And uh, it, it's – and, in fact, I've had many people, actors, directors, and people tell me, you are really good at finding the way people talk to each That's other. That's good. Oh, That's yeah. good. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is one of my strengths yeah. as a playwright. Yeah. Um, I had more trouble, you know, getting to the end. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> I can get everything all worked up, and then yeah. I'm like, huh, how do I get out of this? I think, Je I think Jeannie Baroga, <laughs> we had Jeannie Baroga. Jeannie Baroga? Baroga yeah. yeah. We had Jeannie Baroga on, and a lot of times she'll say she starts a play, but she doesn't know where it's going to finish. And sometimes she doesn't want to know when it's going to finish. She just wants the play to sort of that is take on the way people, ending, people yeah. do it, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that um, in general, the – uh, teaching writing mm -hmm. has just become really weird. Yeah. Where you're just and and uh, one of my poet friends, his name is uh, David Alpaw. Yeah, mm -hmm. he has very some very good essays about um, p 
poetry and teaching and the poet what he calls the poetry biz mm -hmm. and um, what and then so his explanation is this is what happened Iowa the University of Iowa yeah. decided mm -hmm. that they were going to have they were going to try having a poetry workshop right mm. And it worked pretty well, so they decided they were going to have a master's in poetry. Right. And the thing about this is that you don't need to have special labs. Uh -huh. You don't need to have people with PhDs. Right. It's a very inexpensive um, way to set up a yeah. master's program, okay. and you can charge people uh -huh. a lot of money for right. coming. So it works so well that other the other universities, universities yeah. mm -hmm. decided to do it. Mm -hmm. So now we have all over the United States, right. every year, right. thousands of people graduating mm -hmm. in poetry right. with a stamp that says they are a poet. Right. And they deserve mm -hmm. a book, right. yeah. at least. Uh -huh. That's fantastic. And so you don't have a bunch of folks saying, I'm a poet. But, you know, they don't have a, some sort of a certificate or something right. authentic. But the problem is they're not necessarily that good. Right. I hear you. They've been sitting around in workshops nodding like this mm, for two or years. Yeah. That's the way I feel about a lot of the arts. I'm like, I don't know why we're promoting this as an education when it's the arts. It's, there's only – there's styles. There's whatever. But at a certain point, it's a very subjective – judgment on how good or bad something is and that doesn't seem to me to be part of the education process education should be yes you know how to do this level of math mm -hmm. and therefore you get your degree yeah theater is not the same you can be an a student in theater and be a horrible actor yeah that's right that's exactly, exactly right yeah and you know in Smart the olden student, days not a great actor. <laughs> like for poetry mm -hmm. You weren't necessarily, you didn't graduate in poetry. Right. You graduated in English. Mm -hmm. And then, like T.S. Eliot, mm -hmm. you know, he worked, uh, he was a CPA or some dumb right. thing. And he had a job. Right. And then, through his job, he met different kinds of people. Sure. He got into issues with mm -hmm. economy and yeah. this and that. Yeah. He understood about general life. Right. Yeah. He wasn't just sitting around all day reading poems. How yeah. You, yeah. That's you know, smart. That's a great, great point. And that is true of mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of poets in the old days. Yeah. Right. You know, they had some right. skill or something they mm -hmm. did or or some lifestyle. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think of Hemingway. Hemingway traveled the world. And so he got to talk to different people and be in different places mm -hmm. and environments. And it fed into his story writing. Yeah. And that's how you have diversity. You know, you need to listen to different voices and yeah. such. Hmm. But we have, I mean, to me, now you guys have a lot more experience with seeing all kinds of plays around the Bay Area. I mm -hmm. don't see that many plays, maybe one mm -hmm. or two a month. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I still find that the <laughs> plays mm -hmm. are, are very, they're either very white or mm -hmm. very black, or mm -hmm. there's a few that are very Asian or very something. And they're not really mixing it up that much. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Is that, and I think you that's, think that's true? I, th I think it's very true. I think, Norman, you may have a heads up as far What's as see and being involved and more. I think people talk about diversity, but I think a lot of playwrights I – mean, number one, one problem, and we talked off mic about how Disney is Disneyifying uh, plays and what mm -hmm. we see on stage. A lot of companies, they don't want to take a risk. 
and bringing in, oh, yeah. you know, different ideas or whatever. Right. You do have musicals like uh, In the Heights, true, yes. Lin-Manuel Miranda, and that sort of stuff. Got a yeah, lot. but that didn't get much attention until after Hamilton was a huge hit. Exactly. And then, like, I guess it's being made a film now. Yeah, it, and The right. Heights is being made a film. Right, that's so what I meant, yeah. I did have a quick question for you, and it touches into diversity. So I'm, re- I'm in rehearsals for Tiny Beautiful Things. Right, yes. Written by Cheryl Strayed. And Cheryl Strayed is... She's not so much a playwright, uh-huh. but basically she – I guess she had a column, like a – oh, No, she oh. has a novel. I yeah, mean, not a, a novel, novel, a full-length book about a hike that she took on the mm-hmm. – on the, not the Appalachian Trail, but the Sierra Trail. Oh, yeah. okay. She went from one end to the other. Huh. Yeah. But and in this – in Tiny Beautiful Things, she writes about – and I think it's her own experience – where she was a letter writer, sort of like Dear Prudence, right, you know, a, giving a advice columnist. columns. Yeah. And she creates this play based on different people, different diversities, different uh-huh. cultures, different backgrounds. Sure. Basically saying, Dear Sugar, I'm this right. person. I'm having a problem with my marriage. Mm-hmm. I want to get to an open relationship, or right. I'm my sexuality, whatever. Basically just like what you're talking about, Judith. And what's interesting is, uh, uh, here's a question as a director. So we have a bunch of actors, young actors, sure. and they have to – Put on different voices, right? And sometimes the director, you know, uh, because a lot of actors they'll look at a character and say, mm-hmm. "Okay, this is the one character," right? But you have to do multiple characters. Sure. As a director, how do you bring that out? If let's say you have a young actor that may not, uh, it's weird because it, you basically become teacher at that point, <laughs> yeah. And you don't have time, right? To, to so it's more like you just sort of test. I mean, I did that with um, with uh, four men four in men, Paris, yeah. Um, where I get a sense of what an actor can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Well, with Michael Dorado, he had to play two characters, and he did a fantastic. And he job. did a wonderful job. I love that there were people who didn't realize that he had played because he's uh, he played Sartre, and it was just one scene where he pontificated in the middle of a party, and then he was gone, and then he came back, and his and people there were people who said they didn't realize that he that yeah. was the same actor, which is wonderful. Yeah, which is wonderful, but. Yeah, you have to find, you know, and I did. I kept pushing him. Mm-hmm. Can you give me something different with the voice? Can you yeah. give me a different physicality? Yeah. Even Helena. Helena did a wonderful job. Right. As Julia and as Fatima. Right, as child and as young young lover. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you find what the actor can and can't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really it. And it's partly what what is the playwright asking for mm-hmm. and where is the playwright not being specific and what they're asking for, which gives you some flexibility. Are there some choices you can make that tell the story, that help tell the story, mm-hmm. even though it isn't completely defined by the playwright? Yeah. I mean, I run into this regularly because I work with Playground, and mm-hmm. so you know, every time it's a short piece and you've got a short rehearsal period, and I've got to make sense of these plays, and too often the plays just get talky. <laughs> Like I cannot have two people standing on stage talking to each other. I cannot. That's yes, uh, that's going to be boring. Yeah. So can I give you an activity that you're doing while you're having this conversation? Yeah. Can Would I you? move you around? Can I mm-hmm. separate you? Yeah. So that you're talking out, so that we hear you, not talking to each other. <laughs> right. Which is a question I'll ask you, Judith. I mean, how do you get out of the? And this is a problem that I sometimes have because I want to give speeches <laughs> mm-hmm. as a playwright, and it's like. Okay, that may be interesting to me, but it may be boring to someone else. How do you get out of um, showing someone? I mean, what is it? It's like telling someone, like a character telling something, instead of a character actually doing something, showing the action. Do you run into that as a playwright? 
Well, I'm aware of it, um, and it's been and it, it has been a little interesting problem with the Susan B. Anthony thing because mm-hmm. her stick was going around the country talking uh, about yeah, why lectures. women should yeah. have, mm-hmm. you know, and and you don't want that thing with the long. Uh, so, so I mean, there is a there is one simple thing you can do, is, which is somebody's telling a long thing, and then the other person says. You know, really? Do you think so? Or what about <laughs> yeah, this? Or what about that? Yeah. And Interaction, yeah. In, you know, and have right. them interrupt yeah. something or have something. So you can you can do that. Um, but I don't. I don't personally. I don't have too much trouble with it because what I what I, the way I tell people to start a play mm-hmm. is think of subject you want to use. You want to talk about, mm-hmm. then have somebody with a very strong opinion about that mm-hmm. say something. Mm-hmm. You know, this peanut butter sandwich is horrible. Whatever it is, and then you have to think of somebody with the opposite view yeah. that's mm-hmm. going to say something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you want to start out with with that sense a of conflict. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And and then once you do that, you don't mm-hmm. really have as much much trouble. Yeah, and it helps if you have a strong arc. If you have a strong objective, I mean, when I was in school, that was one of the, probably the main focus. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're a character, if you're an actor, and you have a, a script, what is the focus? What is the one thing that you want greater than anything else? Mm-hmm. And if you have a strong playwright, the playwright will have a character that has a strong objective, and mm-hmm. getting towards that objective is is the 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 struggle within the play that makes the play interesting. I mm-hmm. find that nowadays it's so like there's a lot of plays that almost have too much conflict. They're all screaming at each other mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And so I call it the Virginia Wolf influence. Right. Who's yeah, afraid of Virginia much. Wolf? Yeah, of course. Like people screaming at each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. yeah. Like what's the point? You know, right. you're yeah. not getting anywhere with this. Right, in real life that doesn't tend to happen. When you get to that explosive place, it doesn't last long. Yeah. It usually either accelerates into, mm-hmm. you know, a complete explosion or or it's resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think th- there's an influence in movies. I think in movies we see, especially these action flicks, oh, yeah. there's so much conflict and there's so much, you know, it starts at this high level. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you know, either whether it be CGI or just, you know, a lot of people yelling and screaming at each other. And you're absolutely right. You think that, and it come, you know, there was a time, you talk about T.S. Eliot and even the time of Susan B. Anthony where you had stories where there were intellectual people just talking about ideas. And mm-hmm. let's say there is an objective, right. but, you know, you deal with it on a level, uh, of, on an intellectual level mm-hmm. where, you know, you don't have a bunch of people. Maybe if there is screaming or yelling, it's, you know, you're being brought to that level. It has to be earned. That's one thing that, Well, if you yeah. think about, like... Our town, which was a huge success in America, right. everybody put it on, and they're still right. putting it on. Yeah. I think still, yeah. Ashby Stage did it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, so nobody ever screams at anybody in that play. It has, and it is laden with tension right. and, and you know, all yeah. kinds of human feelings, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a picture of life that was the most common form of life mm-hmm. in its day. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. he was just working with the typical life of the typical person, mm-hmm. you know, throughout. Right. And, um, you know, this, to me, this is a great play. Right. Or another one is um, 
George Bernard Shaw's plays. I'm crazy about George Bernard Shaw's mm. plays. Mm-hmm. He can get too talky, though. I mean, he sometimes can. they have he, to. He cut. has agenda. And he mm. has to. But but he's great with comedy. He mm-hmm. has uh, people have wonderful arguments. Right. And he picks. He starts with um, some subject of something like. Women prostitutes, everybody, you know, right. puts down on them, and they have their own lives, too, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then he tries to show this, right. and he always gets lots and lots of comedy in mm-hmm. as you go. Right. Stupid things people say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or, or there was gun manufacturing, and he has great mm-hmm. subjects. Yeah. But he never, I don't think he ever really has people screaming, and they're certainly not shooting each other or having yeah. gunfights mm-hmm. or yeah. knife fights or anything. Yeah, it's the easiest way of, of showing conflict and the hard and the more intellectual way is having, you know, intellectual arguments. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can say, you know, this is a terrible peanut butter sandwich. And the other person says, well, if you would let me buy the other kind of peanut butter. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Well, it's so expensive. <laughs> you know, so you can, I mean, you don't have... I don't know. I just think a lot of theater now is like, it's they they think that the audience have to be, ha- audiences have to be hit over the head. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. Before we leave, uh, I, I do this. Uh, two years ago, okay. This person was on, and it's 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 disappointing that they're not as much into it like. Um, He's talking about his parents. There have been times when I wanted them to come see something, and they mm-hmm. said, oh, yeah, we're going to come, we're going to come. I get them a ticket, and then they don't show up. Right. So it's like one of those things where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, they're not not being supportive by, like, yeah. they're not saying, why are you doing this with your, with right. your life? Yeah. I'm not sure. Like that, but they're not, like, <laughs> so, and this is, uh, to be fair, this is someone that I brought on. Okay. Jacob Bronson. Ah, okay. Uh, who's a young actor, singer, brilliant singer. Mm-hmm. And he had, we were, had him on two years ago. I think you'll get this person one year ago. Okay. It's kind of like what my father did with me as far as the arts is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, because when you hear your child wants to be an actor, you right. know, there are a lot of warning flags going up. Well, like, how are you going to make a living doing right, that? And, you know, no, my close. father was just like, he stayed on top of that all throughout my life. It was a check-in. You still want to be an actor? What do you want to do when you grow up? The voice is in totally in my head, but I can't. Um, he recently won a Shelley Award. Uh, uh, for um, I forget what play it was, but it was at the Town Hall Theater. Terrence Smith. Ah, yeah, yeah he's got a great <laughs> voice. <laughs> All right. Any last words, Judith, before we uh, close things up? I know I want to make sure that we get everything. It's been a fantastic well, conversation we've, we're having. Thank you. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, well, I just want to make just want to make the point that there's a lot of subjects that I feel are not being you know worked mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Um, so I wrote some down. So, mm. uh, the children in cages, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yes. Frederick Douglass, mm. has anybody written a great play about that man? That's right. Really. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I probably can't do it because I'm not black and they won't produce it. Uh, free blacks before the civil war, mm-hmm. uh, the California era, the mm-hmm. dreamers, yeah. The mm-hmm. homeless, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the demise of local stores under the influence of all these big box stores. Mm-hmm. Think of all the stories about people who own stores on main streets in, in, mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. The cost of college, 
college debt mm -hmm. sorry, and yeah. the huge materialism in America. I mean, these were just what I thought of in about two minutes. Uh, uh, yeah. No, you're but, right. There you know, so many I just want to say, mm -hmm. you keep seeing these plays over and over again about a couple fighting in their living room and calling each other names, you know, the Virginia Woolf effect or mm -hmm. something, or, or then there's the violence thing, you know, I hit you, you hit me. Mm -hmm. um, I just think playwrights look around at mm. what's going on <laughs> and write about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing the uh, just? Because you work with a lot of well, young I've budding I've playwrights. I've seen a bunch of stuff. Um, I think you touched on something. You sort of touched on it briefly there. When you are a r white writer and you write these other plays, whether or not you write a good play, your ability to have anybody pay attention to you just becomes, and it's you know it works and it works in every direction. Uh, Lorraine Hansberry's second play is a gorgeous play, but it's a white cast. <laughs> wow! And so nobody touches it. Oh I yeah. think there's been one production of the Bay Area that I know of in so 30 years. So it has a black author. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Lorraine Hansberry, Raising well, in the Sun. Well, here's, like, you know, I did a play that you were I love you uh, did Compared a, to What is, is a wonderful play. And it has four black characters and mm -hmm. three white characters. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's about the Pullman Porters, which ah, is a very yeah. Yeah, it's a great interesting story. subject. Great oh, yeah. And the director, the man who directed it, mm -hmm. um, kept saying to me, you nailed that. You nailed that. You know, he, mm -hmm. he liked it, too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't find any theater to do it because well, the white theaters are like, oh, five, four black actors. I don't know. We don't know any black actors. Right. And then mm. the black theaters are like, well, we don't want to produce a white play. Right? Yep. What a shame. Yeah. yeah. No, so that I think that problem continues. Yeah. And it's funny because it used to be that women used pseudonyms when they were writing to avoid the gender, you know, mm. problem. And it seems like it would be worth it for writers now to just sort of go, okay, I've got, I've got all these different. <laughs> I wrote a black play, so here's my black playwright name. Yeah. You know, you know, I could use the name Brown in honor of my students mm -hmm. who were so, yeah. Yeah. Who so are understanding yeah. Right. Yeah. and nice to me when I was learning about <laughs> mm -hmm. this stuff. Yeah. And uh, and send it out and see if I could get it. You know. Yeah. Right. I was thinking Don Monique Williams is now the associate director of Aurora, so it right. sounds like that would be something that she would love to uh, produce. So, so I'll, that, send you know. it, I'll try sending it. Yeah, there you go. Shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Well, like I said before, my father, and it's so funny, it used to be my father celebrated two birthdays because he's adopted. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Uh, but I, I don't know when the second date is, and his wife says that the Monday is the official, his birth, his actual birth date. So mm -hmm. that's coming up. Uh, theater people, though, um, I'm. I'm going to skip some names because I okay. assume you're going to say them. Um, Ezra Bristow is a young man, fantastic dancer, mm -hmm. um, performing artist. He does a lot of different things, and he also works a lot in tech. So I actually met him through the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts, mm -hmm. where we both work. Yeah. And, um, and I'm always threatening to put him in a play, but we haven't been able to find the time on it yet. But mm -hmm. I, I know he's a fantastic performer. Uh, ben Tucker. Is a Oakland. Um, he was in one of actor. my plays. Yeah. Oh, he was he in compared to what? I think. Yes, yes he was. Yeah. He yeah. was the part you played. Yeah. Um, ben is fantastic. An older black man actor here in Oakland. And also extreme nice man. He's a sweetheart and very active. Um, you know, socially active, politically active. And he has this huge, gorgeous family. 
Oh, that like, I didn't know. You, in order to get in his family, you have to be good looking. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, his birthday's coming up. Kathleen Antonia. Uh, Antonia Tarr. That's right. We yeah. Have her on. yeah. You, um, Victoria Mejia, and she's now married, and I can't remember her last name. Um, she's a Filipina. No. Yes. That sounds right. I think she's Filipina. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, I met her through Jeannie. And okay. She, she has this amazing sense of humor, and it's you know she's goofy in her in her life, but mm-hmm. she brings this energy to the characters that she plays when she acts. That I've always been like, oh my god, you should make her like a romantic lead because <laughs> yeah. you don't see that in romantic in the female romantic leads very often. They're usually pretty, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. But she's just got this killer sense of humor. So, and I think she lives down in L.A. now. Rico, so we messed up last week. Rico Anderson. It was Rico Anderson's birthday last week. It's uh-huh. Rico Anderson's birthday this week. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Um, Anthony Clarvo, and I've always wanted to put them together, Rico and Rika, mm-hmm. just just to put their names <laughs> together on a bill, just yeah. to stare at that. That would uh-huh. be funny. Anthony Clarvo is a Bay Area playwright, and I got to work with him last year with through StageBridge, mm. um, and apparently they're no longer doing this program where they were um, developing writing. You can't say young writers, but people who were new to writing plays. That was um, fantastic. Anyway, he's mm-hmm. he's amazing. Um, Bert, do you know Bert? Bert Van Alsberg. Alsberg. Yes. yes, I've worked yeah. with Bert many times. His birthday's coming up. Uh, right stage on. manager, uh, theater artist. Yeah, set builder, extraordinary. Yeah, he he does a lot. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Crump was a, is a woman that I met. Um, I through playground. Playground does these short pieces, right? They develop some of them into full-length plays, and then some of those get produced as part of a festival. I got to go through that process with her with Scapegoat, Hmm. and she was so fantastic. So when we finally got to do it, and I got to direct it, she had moved. She'd moved back east, and I was like, no. And it was funny here. She wasn't doing much. She would do readings and stuff. She wouldn't do full productions because she was a house manager at the Magic. Mm. So she couldn't afford to take the time off to do a play. And I'm like, wow. you're an amazing actress. That's wow, horrible. wow. Uh, David Acevedo runs a company in San Francisco, and I should know the name of it, and I don't right now. Uh, uh, Teatro Vagon, I think it is. Okay. Um, theater Wagon. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they, they have that tiny space. Like, their the performance space is barely bigger than your living room. Wow. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. – but um, but he – I watched him build it, <laughs> and we've done a bunch of uh, readings mm-hmm. in the space. It's it's pretty cool. San Francisco, you don't see yeah. a lot of new spaces. So Cool. I'm glad that's happening. Lloyd Bantz, um, I think, is somebody else theater um, producer who mm-hmm. – has moved out of the area, I believe, but I met him when I was running a space in West Oakland. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the last one is a stage manager. My favorite the cutest stage manager I've ever had, An- Angela Nostrand. Okay. We got to get her on. We get, well, I want to get more tech folks in, in here. We, we got a nice run of tech, but we yeah. can get more. <laughs> we'll get more. <laughs> okay, so my list. Um, uh, let me get These that are all people that are having birthdays? This week. Yeah, yeah, this exactly. coming week, wow. yes. Um, Eko Yamamoto, we had her on. I skipped that one. <laughs> She's a fantastic Japanese actress, and uh, her birthday is today. Um, also on Sunday, I believe Chuck Laxon. He is a Philippine actor, hmm. and uh, he's worked a lot at Bendelstead. Fantastic comedian. Uh, he should really be on Second City or Saturday Night Live, and his birthday is on Sunday. Hey, they have their token Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Monday, Don Hardwick, uh, he is uh, along with um, – 
Charlie Larigo. They run the Playwright Center for San Francisco. His birthday is on Monday. Um, we talk about Rico Anderson. On Wednesday, uh, a guy who I w- really want to talk about, Steve. Yes. <laughs> no, okay. Any case, uh, Marty Pistone, he is a stage combat guy. Mm. Uh, he has worked with uh, Off-Broadway West, and his yeah, birthday see, is on Wednesday. On. Yeah, I'm working hard to get him on. Uh, he's busy. He's a busy guy. Uh, so, Marty, happy birthday to you. Um, also, I have a Ellingtonite friend, Dawn Carter. Uh, she is a – I think she was a singer. No, no, no. She was an actress, actress-singer. Uh, in uh, tonight, uh, she and I graduated together. Uh, her birthday is Wednesday. We talked about Bert. Uh, let's see. And do I have one last person? And the last person I have on Thursday uh, is Ellen Marsh, Ellen Marie Marsh. Uh, she is now, I believe, she co-wrote uh, Kinky Boots uh, on that, who, that was on Broadway. And I met her. Uh, oh, wow. We, we worked at the Darkroom Theater. And wow. uh, I'm working to get her on. I think uh, she – She's local? Well, she was local, but I think she's visiting. She's now oh, in New York now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's it. Those we, can bump, we can bump somebody. <laughs> we can do that. Okay. Uh, and um, shows. Um, Anton's Wells got their – that's not right. Where the heck is it? Um, they've got uh, three plays, three short there. Uh, piece of monologue. Uh, no, this – He's got some weird name for this. I don't know what it's called. Uh, it's three. I know it's three plays, three Beckett pieces that are going up at St. Albans Episcopal Church, Episcopal Episcopal Church, Church yeah. in Albany. Okay. Um, it's a piece of monologue. It's called okay. One Embers and All That Falls. Mm-hmm. And they just opened, I think, this weekend. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, we uh, You'll probably talk about Town Hall. Do you have that one on your list? Uh, Cherry Orchard? Yep. Yep, that's coming up. Go for it. Uh, the Cherry Orchard, that'll be, that opened on February the 27th, and it closes March the 21st. Tom Riley is in it. Uh, we He was episode 40 of the show, and, of course, Susan Evans is directing it. Uh, Black Comedy, the last show is tomorrow. <sighs> the Douglas Morrison. Alan Coyne and Adrian Dean are also in it. Um, I've been talking about Plethos, uh, the b- Tiny Beautiful Things. Which is coming we're, up, right? Yeah, we're in rehearsals, and that'll be coming up April the 10th through the 19th. And I think next week um, we'll have uh, the director and and the lead actress. Oh, um, to uh, be on the A. Yay! Uh, I think it'll be early, so we hopefully okay. we can do ten thirty. Yeah, great, fantastic. I, I <laughs> uh, Violet the musical that is will be coming up May the twenty eighth through June the twentieth. Um, a good friend of ours, Steve McLeod, is in the show. And the last one I have is the Quality of Life at the Altarina Playhouse that opens March the twentieth. And it ends April the 19th. Kim Who's Donovan. Oh, Kim Donovan, Kim Donovan is in, is in it. Uh, there you Can go. Can I mention a yeah, reading? please. Of course. Of course. Um, I, my, my work that I'm doing about Susan B. Anthony, which is called Just Vote. Mm-hmm. Just Vote. I love it. Is going to have a reading at the Pardee House. Do you know where the Pardee is? Mm. No, tell us where. Um, it's, it's, um, is it on the lake? No, it's right near the Unitarian Church, which is just on 14th. Um, Street, down a few blocks down from City Hall. Oh, it's in. It's uh, right near Preservation Park. Oh, oh, right, Park. Preservation Park. Yes. Okay. The okay. Pardee House. George Pardee was the governor of California, right? And at one time, the mayor of Oakland. Oh. And it's mm-hmm. a historic house, right? And they have some programs in the carriage house mm-hmm. of the place, 
And then afterwards, you get to go have uh, champagne and goodies. Oh. And, um, and when is this? Uh, it's on the April 19th. Ah, okay. In the afternoon. It's mm-hmm. called the Pardee House, P-A-R-D-E-E. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I've been working on this play because this is the 100th year of women getting the vote. Right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. 1920, 1820s, which yeah. makes it even worse that Elizabeth Warren – you know, got knocked out, and well, so we'll yeah. see. VP, we'll maybe see. we'll see. We'll see. You know, if uh, if either Bernie or, Bar- or Biden are smart, yeah, that, that, that would I, w- I would. Well, they, they should smart. get either one of them a woman. Mm-hmm. They will if it's not they her. They have to do a woman. Yeah, they, I they mean, need. they're yeah. just. They're, they're I think just it's dangerous to alienate the women vote. It is. Yeah. yeah, and not only that. I mean, it's stupid not to have a woman because yep. a woman Trump is never going to be able to knock out a woman. Right. That's exactly right. right. So just vote at the party house. Hopefully, there's a web. Is there a web link that yeah. you can? Yeah, yeah, you can just for the go party, on house, party house. Partyhouse.com. And um, it, you know, oh, the way it works with this is usually is the audience reads the parts. Oh, nice. Oh, uh-huh. there you go. And then we talk about any questions they have. Yeah. Sure. So we'll have a link to it, and so people will advertise that. Uh-huh. Judith, did you have a good time? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always. For me, it's always fun to be able to talk about theater because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, playwrights, we're home in our houses, mm-hmm. you know, scribbling. Right. Yes, of course. And, um, yeah, I love I, I love being around theater. Boy, that semester that I was over at the Berkeley Rep every day, that was heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Watching it's these people operate, <coughs> you know, these really good actors. Yeah, no, 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 it's fantastic. That was a uh, fantastic uh, internship that you had in a way of learning about theater. It was mm. so much yeah. fun. And it's fantastic listening to the history of theater. I mean, uh, and also just the history of uh, how you talk about Washington, D.C. and the sort of integration or mm-hmm. how that all sort of happened. It was great hearing about that. Yeah. So it was great having you on, and I'll give my spiel. Uh, you can listen to this podcast. Of course, you're already listening to it, but you could tell your friends on any podcast app that you listen to. Spotify, uh, we're on uh, the Apple uh, podcast app, we're on iTunes, just click on store, click on the search engine on the upper right hand side and you'll find us. Uh, you can also click on SoundCloud.com, go on SoundCloud.com and go on the SoundCloud app if you're an Android mm-hmm. user. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. <laughs> I'm at Red Space Clay. <laughs> and I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Judith, do you do any of that stuff? Instagram? Facebook? Facebook all yeah. that no. Stuff? Well, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got to get you on. I've got to have you friend me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah, there you go. Yeah. So uh, if anyone, especially, you know, we have theater owners who listen to this podcast or oh. production groups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for uh, a play, you Local know, I know Plet- Plethoth is looking for, you know, scripts, and I'm sure other companies are. Judith Offer, you can hit her up. and um, I have a website. I hadn't thought of that. www.judithoffer.com. There you go. So yeah, we'll have yeah, that yeah. on the link. Okay. And um, it, I have had 18 plays produced. 